welcome back to our Weird History episode, where we seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. Melissa is now going to introduce our topic. What is it? I need to know. Oh, actually, how do I want to introduce this one? I'm on the edge of my seat, literally and figuratively. Tell you me. usually are. Um, let's see. <laughs> It, let's see, how do I, I didn't think about how I want to intro this. Uh, well, and looking for various weird history topics, I happened to come across one that's actually rather somewhat relevant to the series that this is sandwiched in between. Ooh, ooh, is it about the Yorks, the Lancasters, or the Tudors? Um, Lancasters and Tudors. I'm excited. You know that the Tudors are my favorite, therefore that's what made me excited. I know. Can you name one? Uh, okay, since we've been going over it, obviously, who is a uh, very influential, who is a particular person in the line of, and, and, and the Lancastrian side who then helped to create the Tudor side? Are you talking male or female, though? Female. Are you talking about Margaret Beaufort? She didn't help create it. She was already... She was the mother of it, basically. No, she wasn't. She was a mother in the line, but wasn't the one that started it. Oh, I see. Okay. You want a hint? No. This might go on for some time while you're trying to figure it out. I don't have anywhere to be tonight, do you? <laughs> no, I just don't want the silence on this episode to take forever. Give me five minutes. I don't want to give you hints, but you don't want them. And you said Lancastrian side. Is it Margaret of Anjou? She wasn't influential in, in creating the Tudor dynasty. God, oh, Owen Tudor's wife. Catherine. Yes. Yes. Okay, see, I got it at some point. <laughs> just got it. And she was kind of influential just later on, not in the creation, you're right, but she was influential later on. Margaret? Yeah, just not in the creation of the Lancastrians. I mean, you mean the Tudors, yeah. No, I would like the the, 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 Sorry, hello, brain the, hint, the hint I was going to give you was the married to Henry V, mother of Henry VI. That was going to be my hint. And I didn't know if you were going to get it from that either. Definitely Margaret. Catherine. I'm sorry. I'm dead right now. I've There's been a here. Margaret next to you, but not that same. <laughs> <laughs> I figured your brain kind of kept going to Margaret because she's never sitting there next to you. Probably. My brain has been non-functional most of the day and I've been stumbling over words at work, so. No, yes, we are talking about Catherine of Valois, but very specific weird history about her, quote, life after death. Well, I mean, she technically is so well known that she is in a way living, quote, end quote, after her death. That's not where I was going with it. Oh, 
is oh, it no. that she, is is it kind of like the idea of Anastasia where she's still alive but she's really not? No, we're talking literal. What was she a zombie? Um, I mean, it is a dead body, but not a live dead body. Keep talking. <laughs> Burial, right? The person on the other end of this conversation is very fascinated now. <laughs> Catherine of Elwall, burial rights and a long time dead body should pique your interest like i said could pray continue <laughs> well let's talk about Catherine for just a couple minutes it, it would help yeah so Catherine was born on october 27th of 1401 to charles the sixth of france as part of the treaty of troy with henry v Catherine was married off to henry and after Henry died, she then began an affair with Owen Tudor, who at that point had become the keeper of her wardrobe. We've talked about this in literally last week's episode on the, the creation of the Tudor dynasty. Now, although she was forbidden to remarry without the agreement of her son, Henry VI, who was currently in his minority at the time, she and Owen married in secret and had at least five children, I think. The eldest of which was Edmund Tudor, who was father to Henry VII. Now, at the age of 35, possibly after a lingering illness, which we're not really sure exactly what she passed away on, or of, but she passed away on January 3rd of 1437 at Birdmuncie Abbey. But, as we mentioned just about a minute ago, that tale doesn't end there, because this is weird history. So although she married well below her station for her second marriage, she, when she died, she was actually given a queen's funeral and was very likely embalmed, which was actually a common practice at the time. Her body would have then been wrapped in a sheet and then wrapped in lead cloth and then finally placed inside a wood coffin. Now, during the embalming process, apparently not too dissimilar to ancient Egyptians, her, some of her organs were actually removed and placed in jars, which is not something I would have thought of. Now, these jars, unlike the Egyptians, though, were not buried with her. Likely, they would have been given to specific churches along the route of her burial procession, kind of like an effigy or a religious or holy relic. Now, on top of the coffin, during the funerary procession, was actually an effigy of herself as well. And it was actually clothed in clothing that she herself would have worn. And if you search images on Catherine, you'll find several pictures of this effigy. It looks like a very, very thin doll, which is kind of really what it is. We don't have any, I don't think there's any surviving paintings from the time of Catherine. Most, I think, of the artistic drawings come afterwards, but uh, don't quote me on that one. But we still have the effigy to this day. It's actually still alongside her coffin at her burial in Westminster Abbey. Now, she was laid to rest on February 8th of 1437, right next to Henry V. Now, during the reign of Henry VI, her son, there were several talks about building her a more grand tomb befitting a queen, but Henry died before the plans were finalized. During the reign of her grandson, Henry VII, 
the chapel in which she was buried in was actually demolished because they were doing reconstruction on it. But this meant that her tomb was destroyed and her body was actually unearthed from its coffin. Now, in respect to his grandmother, Henry had actually replaced her coffin with a, a chest, a lidded chest that was actually bisected and placed her in there, lined with some lead, and later in the chest, not buried, but placed the chest with her, his grandmother's body in it at the feet of the sarcophagus, more or less, of Henry V. So she's not underground. She's in a tomb, a chest tomb, I guess, next to the feet of her dead husband, which is not befitting an English queen. There were plans to actually bury her. It never happened. And she stayed right there in a lidded coffin, unburied, for the next 300 years. That's so sad. It only gets worse from there. Oh. You're making me sadder. Um, well, I don't, I don't know what to do about that. It's just going to get sadder and sadder. History in a nutshell. So, again, the, the plan with Henry VII was to rebuild her tomb and actually take time to actually bury her. It never happened. And it didn't happen with Henry VIII. It didn't happen with Mary. It didn't happen with Edward. It didn't happen with Elizabeth. It didn't happen with any of the preceding Tudors or the Stuarts related to them. They left her where she, they, they put her and did nothing for their dead relative. And in fact, there was even talk that they were trying to even distance themselves from her for some reason why i wonder why they would distance themselves from someone who's basically the mother of tutors i'm thinking because it was sort of a scandal when she secretly wed below her station and then the children themselves as we mentioned before last week that they don't really have a very good legitimate claim to the throne it's really only because of catherine yeah but I mean, so I understand why Henry VIII didn't even think about marrying her. Come on, he's Henry VIII. He's not exactly the most thoughtful of people on the planet. Or he wasn't. I'm going to phrase that. He's dead. I, I can again see that for Mary Tudor. And a little bit for Edward. I can actually see that for all the Tudors from Henry VIII on. I can't really understand for Henry VII, why he would just forget about it. Well, I didn't have a specific date as to when reconstruction on that portion of the chapel was being done and how soon after it had started that he passed away. Because if you remember, we talked last week, we have 1502 and Arthur died, 1503, Elizabeth of York died and Henry was just no longer there and he died just a few years later. So it's probably similar to Henry VI where there were plans and they never went through because the, the king died and now you have a new king. I mean, it's feasible. That's possible. It, it, it's just, 
to me, I guess, even though, you know, I study history, I'm just sometimes shocked by like the complete and utter disconnect. But at the same time, we have a lot of people who are just completely forgotten to history Mm -hmm. too. And it's easy to forget the stuff you did yesterday. So at the same time, very easy to forget that they probably did put Catherine there at the feet of Henry the seventh, Henry the sixth, sorry. Fifth, my God. Right. We've talked about this last week too. Way too many Henrys. There's too many Henrys and my brain is combobulated. <laughs> well, let's continue. Because maybe I get a little less combobulated. So it's believed, as we mentioned, that her chest were the, the the top of the chest was actually bisected so you could have a lower section and the upper section and this would actually allow visitors to open the top section and look upon the deceased queen if they chose to do so not unlike a common coffin or a casket is a better word a common casket you would have today if you go to say a, a, a viewing So one visitor, in fact, not only did this at some point in these 300 years, but also apparently removed the shroud from her body, only to to notice that though she was quite obviously desiccated, she remained well intact. And he actually would later write, the bones being firmly united and thinly clothed with flesh like scrapings of tanned leather. So after word had gotten out that you could not only gaze upon the remains of a queen, but also perhaps that she was naked under her death shroud, she became a tourist attraction. And in fact, workers at Westminster Abbey in the 15 and 1600s would even charge a shilling for anyone that wanted to look at her. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Or I'm just money hungry. Morbid curiosity. I was talking about them charging the shilling. It's Westminster Abbey. They're probably always going to go after some kind of money somewhere. That place is huge. Fair enough. There's always something something re- being restored and worked on there. It's huge. It's old. It's, it's super old. I know. So there was also a rumor around this time that this was also part of Catherine's fate. As the story goes, that when giving birth to Henry VI, she disobeyed her husband. So it goes that Henry V was told of a prophecy that if he had a son born at Windsor, that son would grow up to lose everything that his father had gained. So when Catherine was pregnant with their first son, he ordered her not to give birth at Windsor. But while he was away on campaign, she did exactly that. And technically that did come true. Henry VI lost tons of land in France that Henry V had gained. So yeah, so one of of my sources had this quote about this particular fate of Catherine. Sensible of her fault in disobeying her husband, it was her own desire and pleasure that her body should never be buried. If so, it is a pity, but that woman, especially a queen, should have her will therein, whose dust doth preach a sermon of duty to feminine 
and of morality to all beholders. Your fault for not obeying your husband. This uh, unfortunate life after death. Now, during the reign of Charles II in the mid to late 1600s, we have diarist Samuel Pepys, one of my absolute favorites. And he actually, at one point, attended a performance of Shakespeare's Henry V and was so moved by the play, afterwards he decided to go over to Westminster and gaze upon Catherine's body. And he actually described his visit as such in his diary, because it's it's Samuel Pepys. On Shrove Tuesday, 1669, I to the Abbey went and by favor did see the queen of Catherine of Valois and had the upper part of the body in my hands and I did kiss her mouth. Reflecting upon it, I did kiss a queen and it is my birthday and I 36 years old and I did kiss a queen. How many years is this after her death? Just give me a reminder. Over 200 years. That's gross, Samuel Pepys. That's gross. Respect the dead. Actually, it was in respect to the dead. Meg, just come on the show. We've already announced that you're here. (laughs) There's so much more about this. Come on the show. Pop on over. Oh, at first I thought that he'd gone in to kiss her like right after she died or like basically after she went on display but then oh yeah yeah this is about 230 years after she died still disgusting (laughs) yeah well i mean yes that sounds disgusting but in fact it really was a a way of showing respect back then it back then it wouldn't have been any different than people today paying respects to various effigies you would maybe kiss the effigy lay a tribute at the effigy lay a memorial or flowers at the effigy yes i know it's an actual dead body and not an effigy but back then it wouldn't have been much different it i don't mind lay flowers on her casket leave if you'd like to leave a peace offering of food leave some food don't freaking kiss the dead body don't do it just don't do it well samuel peeps as it turns out wasn't the only person who decided to kiss the queen ew gross stop it people stop well, I think he was so moved to do so because of the play. Because apparently this tradition of going to see and kiss Catherine apparently had been going on for some time because it's actually alluded to within the play of Henry V, which was written about 100 years before, well, like 60 years before. But during Shakespeare's time, people were going to kiss the queen. So it'd been an ongoing tradition. Doesn't make it any less gross. I didn't say that. Don't do it. That's gross. So now up to this point, Catherine's body had lain unburied in its original resting place post 
tomb destruction, which was in the late 14, early 1500s. Now the tradition of visiting her, touching her, kissing her and keeping her body exposed to the elements within Westminster would, as we said, continue through the Tudors, obviously continue into the Stuarts and through the Hanovers. But unfortunately for her, her life after death was about to get even worse. In 1786, a man named Richard Goh visited her and actually wrote that in recent years, he had seen young scholars within Westminster go to see her and tear at her remains so that when he went to visit her himself, she was nothing but a shapeless mass of whitish color. People taking souvenirs of a dead queen. My face of disappointment in humanity. Mm -hmm. That's what's on my face right now. Now, thankfully, not too long after this, because that was in 1786, it bothered Richard apparently so much that he was able to petition to have her actually put to rest. So in 1788, she would be finally laid to rest in an actual tomb. She was entombed in the De Villiers vault in Westminster. And once entombed, the memory of her kind of began to fade and she would actually lay undisturbed for the next hundred years. Well, in the late 1800s, Dean Stanley of Westminster began looking through records of anything about Catherine. And because she wasn't actually buried where she was originally placed, he wasn't sure where she was. Because again, this is about 100 years after her previous second funeral. In December of 1877, Lord Percy had actually passed away and his family tomb had been opened to admit his body. Now, having found the resting place at Queen Catherine in an adjacent vault, Dean Stanley personally asked Queen Victoria for permission to uninter her from the de Villiers vault. And she gave her permission. And after Lord Percy was laid to rest, Dean Stanley and some workers went in and broke through the wall of the Percy vault into the de Villiers vault and went to retrieve Catherine's body. And her body was, her chest, her body within her chest was found on top of a pile of coffins within this crypt. This crypt is quite old. And after opening the vault, somehow her coffin had sort of slipped off the top of this pile and then became wedged against one of the walls, which was apparently also kind of damp. It was just they were damp in the tomb. And this caused the very, very old, over 300 years now at this point, the chest she was secondly placed in was now rotting old and it stuck to the coffins below it. After some work, Dean Stanley and his workers were actually able to unstick the coffin and finally remove her remains. Unfortunately, because it just doesn't end there. So having been sealed in a tomb for nearly 100 years, had actually kept the chest and her body preserved well enough. But once they were removed from their stony tomb, the air and humidity immediately took effect. I mean, it's accidental, but it's destruction. After just a matter of hours of being untombed, the coffin that she had lain in was completely disintegrated into just bits of wood. 
and her body upon inspection was noted to have been missing several body parts. After finally taking the time to very closely inspect her, her body, it was concluded that they, uh, well, originally it was concluded because it was missing so many body parts. The inspectors believed that her body may have been doused in lye, which would have caused, which would have eaten away at the body. But that was actually an erroneous conclusion because that really wasn't the case. After carefully, closely viewing the body, they noticed that the entire front portion of the skull was gone. A piece from the back of it was gone. Almost all of her vertebrae were missing. Only one of her ribs remained with the body. Pieces of her right arm were taken and they could not find a single one of her teeth. Because they'd all been taken out of the coffin the previous 300 years. How pathetically sad. Now, though much of her upper body had been obviously desecrated, some of her lower body actually remained intact. In fact, Dean Stanley and his workers actually found that her legs were still shrouded in layers of the original burial cloth and found her legs to actually be in good condition. They even said supple, which is not sure. That is a term I would use in a dead body. It's a bit weird. Now, also within this original chest, they also found remains of a wool pillow, which her head had been resting on. And they also found small fragments of silk that had originally lined the pillow. And when they made this discovery, Dean Stanley himself removed a piece of the silk from the burial and personally presented it to Queen Victoria. Now, after all the centuries, discovery, destruction, and work, Catherine was soon, for the third time, and properly this time, buried next to Henry V in Westminster. And there is actually a, a good processionary quote that goes along with this. And it says, it was a striking and impressive scene which I shall ever remember, and which at the time was impossible to view without some feeling of emotion. The daylight had quite faded, and we were alone in the darkened abbey. Two workmen took the box containing the queen's remains, and following Mr. Poole and the clerk of the works, the latter carrying in his hand one small lantern to light us, led the way out of St. Nicholas's Chapel to the northern side of the Chantry Chapel. Mr. George Scarf and myself followed no one uh, followed no one else was present, and we seemed unconsciously and silently to fall into a sort of processional order. I remarked to him, we are attending the Queen's third funeral. Not a word was said as we passed slowly round the ambulatory in the darkness. I think that was actually written by Dean Stanley. Then once arriving at her resting place, her body was carefully placed into a new coffin made of oak. And they also placed pieces of the old chest in there, as well as an inscription plate, which actually detailed her journey, if you will, of, of the previous 100 years. 450 years, give or take. After she died, her body, she was finally given a proper queen's burial. I mean, she was already decimated by that point. Can we get any worse? 
Well, now that you bring it up. I knew it. <laughs> I brought it up. You have something to say. Always got to have a little extra on these. <sighs> but it's not about Catherine. So the Catherine was, of course, probably the saddest of royals to be unearthed accidentally or intentionally. She wasn't the only one. So for fun and morbid interests, I found a list that covered 10 of these English royals, and we'll cover the other nine briefly. And these tubes, uh, yeah. So this list is actually put together from abroadintheyard.com. And the first on the list is Edward the Confessor, who was the last Saxon king of England, I think it was, right? He died in January of 1066, about six months or so before the Battle of Hastings, if I remember correctly. And he was unearthed in 1102 by Henry I, then again in 1163 by Henry II. And in 1685, it was disturbed for a third time, but by accident, because during the removal of some scaffolding that had actually been recently used for the crowning of James II. Next came King John, who we've mentioned in a previous episode for the Magna Carta, and he died in 1216, and his tomb and body were disturbed in 1797 for a scholarly study. After John came Edward I, who died in 1307, and much like King John, his tomb was also opened by the Society of Antiquaries and the Dean of Westminster in 1797 as well. Next came Richard II, who died in 1400. And he was disinterred in 1413 by Henry V. And he moved his body from Kingsley Church, where he was buried, to Westminster. And then in 1871, his tomb was again opened, but this time by accident during restoration at the Abbey. Now, recently, this one's a little odd. A cigarette box was found in the basement of London's National Portrait Gallery. The box was determined to actually hold remains of items that were found during the discovery of Richard II's tomb in 1871. So we're talking about pieces of shoe and some cloth and things like that. And a little souvenir cigarette box that's literally labeled to uh, have a picture of it. After the death of Catherine, we then see the body of Edward IV disturbed. Edward died in 1483 and was discovered during restoration at the Abbey. Uh, or actually, he's not buried at the Abbey. The restoration workers at St. George's Cathedral in 1789. After Edward, we see his son, Edward V who was also one of the princes in the tower, the elder of the two. And we believe also that he died in 1483, though of course that's uncertain. In 1674, workmen restoring the Tower of London found a wooden box containing what appeared to be two small skeletons, but human skeletons. And they were found about 10 feet under the stairs that led to the chapel of the White Tower. And once discovered, Charles II actually had the remains interred in Westminster with an inscription that reads, these brothers being confined to the tower and there stifled with pillows were privately and meanly buried by the order of their perfidious uncle Richard the usurper. I mean, there's so many reasons to like Charles II, but that's fun. 
but we still to this day don't know if these are the princes in the tower so the bones themselves were actually exhumed in 1933 and examined by an archivist at westminster lawrence tanner as well as other notable specialists at the time dentists and anthropologists and, and people studying just remains of stuff but that was 1933 and nothing has been done since but since the discovery of dna uh, and, and its prevalence from the 90s since on there has been petitions to queen elizabeth to allow the remains to be dna tested against surviving people that come from that line but queen elizabeth has so since refused to allow these remains to be tested mostly under the grounds not so much that they may or may not be the princes in the tower it's mostly because this may give precedent to other royals and their bodies being exhumed for testing and science so next on the list you'll like this one is anne boleyn and she died in 1536 so after her execution she was actually buried in an unmarked grave in the chapel of saint peter on the grounds of the tower of london in 1876, some of the pavement in the chapel apparently had sunk because it's old and repairs had to be made. And upon inspection of this hole, uh, remains of a female skeleton had been found about two feet deep. That had been, they weren't buried obviously in a heap, but they'd become in a heap when the sidewalk collapsed. Although obviously they've also never been DNA tests on these remains. Either it's long been since believed to be Anne, as the noted description of the remains themselves, stature, just, just the, the general description of what the person would have looked like with flesh on, uh, fits the descriptions of Anne herself and the portrait that she sat for. After Anne, there's Edward VI, and he died quite young, obviously, but in 1553 and in 1871, workers that was ongoing at Westminster had some concerns that some of the royals that were buried there, the some of their tombs were kind of deteriorating. So with Queen Victoria's permission, several of the vaults were opened, examined, and reviewed. And of these vaults, only one of them was actually lined with lead. So that was given a very close examination. And the inscription on the tomb itself stated that these were the remains of Edward VI. So the last to date is Charles I, the beheaded king. And he was beheaded by <clears throat> the Puritans in 1649. And after his death, he was embalmed and interred in St. George's Chapel at Windsor because Cromwell would not allow him to be buried in Westminster. And here he lay until 1813 when it was discovered and opened in the presence of Prince Regent, though later to be George IV. The body was examined and noted to actually be in fairly good condition. And it still had robes, there was like a scepter, there's a whole bunch of royal memorabilia within the tomb. And the body apparently was said to be in such good condition 
that the muscles and tendons were said to be firm. And the cut of the executioner's axe was actually quite visible and said would have been a clean one cut chop through the fourth vertebrae on Charles I's neck. I didn't mention the exploding eyes, but you're welcome. How gruesome. You were eating. You said it as I took a bite anyway, so who cares? It was also while I was taking bites of corn. There's corn in my soup. Oh. I'm having soup, corn, and then exploding eyeballs being mentioned as I take a bite. Thanks. No, I felt like I ate eyeballs. Every day should be Halloween. If only. If only it could be. But uh, yeah, that's that's our story of the life after death of the body of Queen Catherine of Valois. And nine other royals whose tombs were disturbed. Lovely. Well, I mean, I, I think this is interesting that we're recording this on this day when I put up an ins- our Instagram post. And it's about tombs that were basically disturbed and destroyed. Sometimes life is more than just mere coincidence. I didn't even know you posted it. I haven't seen it yet. Well, my posts are now kind of a surprise for you too, just like the topics of weird history are for me. Yay. Yeah, it, it's an archaeology in the news post that I, I found about these really long roads that are like called funerary avenues or they're being dubbed funerary avenues. And literally it's a road and along these roads are offshoots of I guess people had died on the road we don't really know this is a educated guess by the archaeologists. People died on the road and they just buried them on the side of the road. Where is this, England? Saudi Arabia. Oh, because I know there's similar roads to that for funerary processions. Uh, the only thing that comes to my mind when you mention something like that is the Oregon Trail. Uh, well, this this is in Saudi Arabia and it's believed that it was kind of maybe indigenous tribes could be like similar to the Bedouins who consistently travel and they just were traveling along road along the same route all the time. And as people died, they just kind of buried them on the side of the road, but elaborately in a way, go take a look at the post. I think you'll like it. Hmm. I think I will. But uh, does that mean that, that that that's the end of this this episode? That's all I got. Okay, outro it is. Oh God, I don't remember the outro. I never remember the damn outro. Do you want me to do it all? Why not? Okay, I can do it all tonight. Just a little reminder, as we were talking about, you can find us on Instagram. At History Explains It All underscore podcast, as well as Facebook. It's where we post our history uh, of today, the history of the day, or today in history. My brain is so dead. It's today in history. Jeez Louise. We post today in history and or an archaeology in the news twice a week, along with our episode uh, 
posts as, with our sources. You can also email us at historyexplainsall at gmail.com. Just leave out the it. <laughs> Just tell you how tired I am. <laughs> and uh, don't forget to check out our Instagram post because we also do polls there. I forgot to mention that earlier. But that'll do for this episode of History Explains It All. And we hope to see you next week as we trek through history to explain it all. Bye. Bye.